Well, good morning, everyone. How are we all doing today? Good, good. Just uh, want to say a big welcome uh, to all of us here in person and all of you watching online. Um, for those of you who might be new, my name is Del. I serve as one of the pastors here, and it's good to be with you. Um, I'm excited about this chili cook-off. I hope uh, a few people are coming to that tonight. I decided to throw my hat in the ring. And so, um, you know, last night I started making my chili, my special secret recipe chili. It's not, none of us secret recipe. We, we, we pick like one ingredient, like we just throw like an extra sprinkle of garlic and like, this is my secret recipe. We just copy some other recipes. So at least that's what I do, but it's mine now. So anyway, so I'll be bringing that later. And I love this little, you know, trophy here. And it does kind of, you know, reminds me of the Stanley Cup a little bit. It's a little shorter, maybe just a little bit. Um, and I don't know if you knew this or not, but did you know that the Detroit Red Wings have almost twice as many Stanley Cups as the Chicago Blackhawks? Anybody know that? It's just a fun fact. I thought it throw out to you, you know, you guys, you know, he's busting my chops about the Detroit Lions. But, you know, this year, you know, our franchise quarterback for many, many years, one year removed, is actually in a Super Bowl. We're really, I'm, I'm rooting for him. And then also the Bengals, they're kind of a distant relative of the a Lion, right? So I think this is the closest we've been to a Super Bowl. And uh, we're going to celebrate that as Detroit Lions fans today. So, yeah, you see, right? That's how I cope, okay? Don't, don't judge me. It's how I cope. So, all right, so anyway, uh, but it's, you know, this, this chili cook-off, it's going to be a great time tonight. I do hope you can come out uh, and, and be together. We've got quite a group, it looks like, signed up and registered, so it should be a great time. A lot of good food and just uh, watch the game, and we'll have some other games going on. It'll be a lot of fun. So, um, But this, this cook-off, I don't know about you, but it, it does make me hungry even thinking about it. You know, I, I uh, had the chili going last night. We had, I had to make sure to eat dinner first. We made and ate dinner, and then I had to make the chili because otherwise... You, nobody would have had chili this evening because I would have just been like sampling the whole time. So, um, but there's just something about that hunger. And, you know, it's, it's kind of fitting, you know, today as we continue our series, this, this upside down series talking through or going through the Beatitudes, talking about, you know, um, this, these, these different uh, markers or characteristics of what a Christian should be. And, and you know, we, it's in the context of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's right at the very front end. And so today we're going to be looking um, at, at one of the the, the beatitude called blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I hope you've been following along. I hope you've uh, got to hear most of the sermons. If you haven't, all those are online for you to watch. Um, we also have a, 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 a podcast as well that we stream those. So just uh, hopefully you can check those out if you haven't, because really these are all building. All right. You'll still get something out of today if you've not heard any of them. Don't worry. But they're, they're building on one another. There's, a, there's a, a reason that Jesus lays these out in a certain order. And so, you know, today's the fourth message, the fourth beatitude. And the other ones, the previous three, are important to get us up to this point. But before we get it too deep, um, we're going to pop quiz again. I told you I would. And anybody in here, without looking, you know, the Greek word for blessed Thank you. Good job, Brian. Can you give him a round of applause? I'd give this to you, but it's not mine to give yet. So, um, Makarios. Makarios. We had one person in the first service, too. So, our, the numbers can only go up, I hope, by next week. So, um, but it's Makarios. Makarios. And we, we know that this word blessed, again, it's, it's this idea of being happy, but it's not dictated by outside things. You know, it's, it's not influenced by that. It's just that, that we are blessed, that we are happy uh, because of, of something that, that God does for us. And so 
To make this kind of fun today, we're going to do some audience participation, because I know you guys love this. And all of you online, you can participate. We'll just take your word, you know, honor system there. But what I want to do is, is, is we're going to read through this passage once again, uh, through the Beatitudes. And every time that we come to the word blessed, I'm going to point to you, and you are going to say, Makarios. All right? Because I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you today. <laughs> we're going to get this down. So, uh, you guys agree to that? Can we do that together? So, when I point to you, you say, All right, all right, it's going to be fun, it's going to be good. All right, so Matthew chapter 5, beginning in, in verse 1, and this is Jesus uh, that, that is being talked about here. It says, Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went upon the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. <laughs> Are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Sorry, I said blessed. Sorry, we had it going. <sighs> I dropped the ball. I'm sorry. It's only my second time doing this today. You have to forgive me. All right, let's try, help me out here. Let me get me in, ready? Are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. I just thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you, Lord, for every person watching online. And God, I just thank you that, Lord, that, that today as, as we study your word, as we hear your word, Father God, that you would truly speak to our hearts, God, and that, that we would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many uh, people in here have been to Florida? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I always know when you guys are gone, you come back and you have a nice tan. And I was like, where were you in the middle of winter? And it's like, oh, I was getting some sun. Well, I used to be, I think I mentioned this before, I was on funeral detail when I was stationed in Georgia, in Florida for almost eight months. And so traveled around a lot in Florida. And um, one of the guys on my, the, doing the funeral detail with me, he was from the Orlando area. And if you've ever gone down I-95 and paid any attention, you, you might have seen some billboards for a restaurant called Dixie Crossroads. Anybody? Okay, I got a couple here. And if you've ever been there, um, there's something there that is truly amazing, all right? And it is called, I never had had them before, um, it's called rock shrimp, right? Maybe you've had rock shrimp before, but let me, let me explain this a little bit. So we go there, you know, a big group of, of us guys from the military, we, we went there and, you know, I sat down and we started ordering, of course, we ordered the all-you-can-eat, you know, shrimp, because that's what we do. Um, you got all the little, little fritters came out, and those were amazing. And all my friends, or well, my buddy that was from there, and he convinced everybody else to order these uh, shrimp uh, broiled. You could order them however you wanted. I got mine fried, because that's what I grew up, you know, a little fried shrimp and stuff. Well, I'm eating mine, and they're good. But these guys, I'm watching all my buddies just like... You know, it's like they're, they're having almost this religious experience, you know, like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, you know, and, and mine were okay. And so I tried one, and you know, they got like a thing of butter, and they're dipping away, and they're going at it. And, uh, and so I, I, I tried one, and it truly was, I mean, it was like, 
It was like lobster almost, right? It was the most amazing. Are you getting hungry yet? I'm getting hungry. But, but and so I, 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 I finished out my plate and then, of course, got a new one with the, the broiled rock shrimp with a huge bowl of butter. And it was incredible. And the interesting thing was from then on, whenever we were kind of in the area, you know, we'd make sure we, our, our travels took us there. And then what was really funny is over time, that area our closeness grew by quite a, pretty much the state of Florida. You know, if we were in the state of Florida, we're going to go somehow by Dixie Crossroads uh, to get rock shrimp that are broiled with a bowl of, of, of melted butter. And, you know, what that was is a, a general hunger really turned into what I call a focused hunger, okay? It turned into a focused hunger. You know, what was funny is we would pass hundreds of restaurants, right? We could have stopped anywhere, and there's probably other good restaurants, but when we had that hankering, if you will, that for rock shrimp, broiled, you know, Dixie Crossroads style, it's like we would just go by and go by and go by whatever restaurant we were, we were passing at the time to get to what our desire was. Another example, you know, maybe that's hunger, but think about thirst, and I don't know if anybody here has ever been stranded in the desert, anyone, for a couple days without water, food, anything? So I want to know if we had a survivor story here. Okay, well, I lived in a desert for eight years. I was never stranded like that. But, you know, you probably watched a movie, right? We can all go off the movies because they're true most of the time. But, but when you see that person, right, that's been stuck in the desert, and they're finally found or they find civilization again, and they can barely get out any words, and, and they always just kind of manage to just barely mouth out one word. And what's that one word that they're like, that they say when they're just reaching out? What do they say? Water. Water right? They don't say rock shrimp. They don't say, you know, give me a Coke. Water, right? Water, because it's, it's, it's life-giving. It's, it's, it's the sustenance that, that is needed for that situation because they've been, you know, starved and they've been without for so long and they know what the body needs. And so, again, their hunger, their thirst at that point is focused into what it needs. And so as we approach this, this beatitude today in verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, there's a focus here for what? It's for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. There's, there's, this, there's this, again, this focused hunger and thirst. As Pastor Tony mentioned, uh, as he was up here, I, I shared this quote earlier, and I want to share it again with you from uh, a Bible scholar named Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he says this, and, ch and check this out. He says, this beatitude, this, this verse 6 that we're talking about, he says, again, follows logically from the previous ones. It is a statement to which all other, the others lead. And so you know, that's what I was saying. You know, these are kind of building up. And so here in the middle of all the Beatitudes, we have this like build up to this point, this kind of pinnacle. And so he goes on and says, um, it, is, it is the logical conclusion to which they come. And it is something for which we should all be profoundly thankful and grateful to God. He goes on and says, I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. And here it comes. Listen to this. If this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements of the whole of Scripture, you can be quite certain you are a Christian. If it is not, then you had better examine the foundations again. Think about that for a second. That this, this scripture, and again, you know, this is a Bible scholar. You know, he's not Jesus. This isn't scripture, what I just read. This is a, a quote from him. But it's, it's very weighty what he said. 
that this scripture, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What is he getting at? He's, he's saying that what, our, what our, our focused hunger is on, our focused thirst is on, really tells us a lot about who we are if we're truly followers of Christ. All right? It's, it's, a, different, it's a different kind of hunger and thirst than we see in, in the world, for example. We see people going after all kinds of things in life. We, we see people going to great lengths to achieve or, or to obtain certain things. But when it comes to our walk with God, is, is, it, is it righteousness that, that we're pursuing? Is, is that what we truly hunger and thirst for? In Amos chapter 8, verse 11, he writes this. He said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God. When I will send a famine on the land. And if we pause there, it sounds like, you know, again, you, know, you see this like desert wasteland, no water, no food. You would think that's what's being, you know, uh, said here. And the thing is this, is, is God always uses, and I, I've, I've lived long enough. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm old or maybe wise yet. I'm getting wiser, I think, than I was slowly, um, mostly from being married. But that, you know, I'm, I'm getting better by, by God's grace. But... You know, what I've learned is that everything in this life, everything that we go through is really what God uses to teach us about spiritual things, to teach us about, you know, things that we maybe can't see. You know, for example, when it, why did Jesus walk the earth? I, I've said this before. Why didn't he just come? I know the prophecies and all that stuff to fulfill that. I get that. But I'm saying, why, why couldn't he just come and go straight to the cross and be done? Well, because he lived out his life here on earth for about three years as an example to you and to me and what it looks like to be a, a follower of, of him, to, to, to be a Christian, to, to serve God with our whole heart. He lived out his life for, as an example to us. And all throughout, every experience in this life can be used as an example to help us. And so, you know, we come to this place and he paints this picture of famine where our mind would go to. And then notice what it says when we continue. It says, not a famine of bread, nor a th of thirst, nor a thirst for water. But here's the famine, but a hearing of the words of the Lord. So he comes through at the end, he, he sets this picture of a wasteland, of that being parched and needing that sustenance, needing something. And then he, he, he finishes it with, that's, that's what it is like when, when the Lord removes his voice, when we can no longer hear the Lord. It's that same kind of wasteland. And so we, we're going to look today at this, this thought or this idea of what it is, this, this hunger and thirst. And I want to break it down into two steps for us. The first one is, is step one is, is to make room, is making room. You know, a lot of us will, will go on and on and ask God, you know, we, we say, God, give us a deeper walk with you. Give us a closer relationship with you. You know, we want to grow in our walk with you. But the reality is, I think we may say that with our mouth, but oftentimes I think we're living much like that innkeeper we see in the Gospels. When Mary and Joseph were knocking on that door and he responds and he says, I, sorry, I, there's no room here for you. You see, again, with us in life, and as, as Lloyd-Jones pointed out, you know, there's a logical progression we're talking about here, but what it's all pointing to and what we've seen, and we'll touch on, on each of these briefly here in a moment, but it's this, this emptying out of ourselves. Why? Because we have to make room. <laughs> we have to make room for the things of God. 
But again, I, I know for myself, I tend to, I can, it's so easy for me to fill my life with, with things that are of this world, with things that are fleeting, with things that maybe even not, may not be bad, but I fill myself with so much stuff that there's really very little room that God can come in and, and occupy, is there? And so when we look back at verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 5, in verse 3 we began with blessed are the poor, which really you could say is, is void of anything of value. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses, your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of, of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You see, what can a dead person offer you? Nothing, right? And that's what we talked about, you know, when we recognize that we have nothing that we can bring to God. Nothing that can purchase our salvation, nothing that can purchase right standing, nothing that we can bring that's, that's of some significant value on an eternal scale. You know, we, we bring uh, just our, our stuff, we bring our death, we bring our sin. And, you know, we look at this idea, and I, I, I speak to people from time to time, and they say, you know, how can a... How can a, a God who's so good allow bad things to happen to good people, right? Maybe you've asked this question. Maybe you've heard this asked. And, you know, there's two problems with that statement. The first thing is that, you know, this, this idea that God is allowing. You see, when God made, created the earth, when he created man, he, he, he charged man with dominion over the earth. And when man chose to sin... He basically signed over the deed, signed over that control, and handed it over to the enemy, to Satan, right? And so Satan is just doing what he's been given the right to do, if you will. Now, praise God, we know that there's a plan and that God has made a way and that, that one day judgment is going to come. But when we look around the world, we see that, you know, God's not, a, he's not allowing things. It's, Satan has right to do what he's doing. Now, God still operates, doesn't he? God is still at work, and God is still moving, and it, it's not an equal good versus evil thing. God is greater, but God is working out his plan. But, but again, we, our ancestors, Adam and Eve, they, they gave that right to, to Satan. And so he's, the, he's called the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So you wonder why, why evil things are happening in the world? It's because Satan is behind this. He's, he's, his, his sons and daughters that have not come to the light, have not, have not made Jesus or accepted Jesus as Lord, they're simply doing evil. That's what they're supposed to do. Because we're all born with sin, right? I believe I've said it before. I'll say it again. You know, we don't, I never had to teach any of my kids when I said, hey, don't touch that. And then the next thing you know, they just like, they look at me and they just go like this and they touch it, right? Anybody have a similar experience? You don't have to teach that to them, do you? It's just that sin nature in us. It just, we want to do what we want to do and we'll be disobedient. So again, that, that statement, why God allows bad things to happen to good people, the first part is God, you know, again, Satan's doing what he does. The second part of that statement is good people. And, you know, maybe you've never been told this, but we're not, we're not good people. <laughs> why? Because we're born with sin. I don't know about you, but I'm a selfish person. I can be a very selfish person. I can want what I want, you know, and I want to do my own thing, and I, I want what's best for me, and I, I can be, you know, not caring for others because I want to get it my way. Where's all the amens at? I thought for sure. I thought for sure. 
But it's true, right? I mean, none of us are good. And that's what this is getting at, is this, is this being you know, poor. And, and it takes us to, uh, to the next one, to the next verse, to verse 4, which is mourning. And that's, we talked about that. You know, it's, 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 it's understanding, it's seeing ourselves, seeing our sin, and being grieved. That we, we mourn that, Lord, this sin in me is, is horrible. And even after we come to Christ, you know, we are still not perfect creatures, are we? And so we still make those mistakes. There's still, it's just an ongoing process. The technical term for that is, is, is sanctification. We are being sanctified, but it is a process for the rest of our time here on earth while we live in these bodies. So we're being sanctified. And so we, we see this, this mourning over our sin, and that would be a void of pleasure, if you will. In Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 4, listen to this. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. And the day you die is better than the day you are born. Now, here comes the, here comes the line right here. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies so, that, so the living should take this to heart. Now, I don't know about you, but on a Friday night, I don't know if you've done this, you know, people are going out, and I don't know how many of you, if anybody in here has ever said, you know, I know we had plans to go out and have a good time and, you know, get together and, you know, maybe have a couple drinks and just laugh and enjoy ourselves. But, you know, I heard there's a funeral happening down the road. Why don't we just pop in there, you know? Anybody ever had that experience? I don't think so, right? I would say no. And, you know, it was interesting recently because... Um, you know, there was a group of us staff here that were at a funeral together, and you know, afterwards, Pastor Tony, we were talking, and he was just saying, you know, funerals are really. Uh, he, he said he enjoyed them, and then he went on to say, he's like, you know, but because they really just kind of put things in perspective, right? It makes us kind of take inventory. And so let's let's continue here in in, in Ecclesiastes uh, verse three, and it goes on to say, sorrow is better than laughter. Now. Scripture, again, this is, our, this is our standard. We may have our feelings. So, so this is true, right? And so it's saying here, sorrow is better than laughter. For sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Sorrow is better than laughter. Why? It says, for, for sadness refines us. Now, my question to you today, and this is a question I really want you to pause for a moment on and think, do, do we live this way? Look at our culture. Look at, look at the way we handle when, when, when there's a death. And oftentimes, instead of letting sorrow sort of, you know, we, we walk through sorrow, what do we try to do? We try to drown it out, right? Maybe with medication, alcohol, drugs. How about this one? This is, this is a... I know none of, you know, we don't have that, those problems in here but, that I just mentioned, but how about this one? Busyness. Right? And we can be busy doing a good thing. We might even come to the church and be busy. So we don't have to focus on it. And, and, and this is the thing, and I, I don't want you to take or misunderstand what I'm trying to get across. Today. I'm not saying, you know, we have, to, we have to live in this place of just like, oh. It's always gray skies and, you know, just this. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, though, is, is when these times come, if, if we allow it to, and, you know, what it's saying here in Ecclesiastes, again, this, this refining influence on us that, that sadness has. 
Because the reality is, is on the mountaintops, we really don't grow a whole lot. <laughs> In fact, we probably, if anything, we regress. We kind of kick our feet up. And like, okay, life's good, things are rolling. But it's in the valley, it's in the struggle, it's in the those times of loss. You know, again, you don't waste your pain when you're there. Walk through that time, walk through that difficult season and let it refine us. Because you know why? It's just like, you know, if you're polishing like a stone or doing something like that, what is, when you take that rag or take that cloth or whatever it is you're using, it's this, this friction that happens, right? But most of us live our life, you know, we just want to grease it up, right? And just whoop, there's no friction. We don't want any friction in life. Look at, look at our world. You don't have to look far, right? That's what everybody's seeking is no friction. I just want to sail through life, no problems, and just roll along. And if a problem comes up, whatever I got to do to sidestep it, I just want to keep moving. But it's the friction that makes things smooth, that, that brings that, that finished work, that polishes. And so, you know, that's something, again, just to keep in mind as we walk through this time when we mourn our, our, our sin and this being this void of pleasure. And then verse 5, it brought us to being meek, blessed are the meek, which is, again, void of, of being prideful. There's, there's this void of pride. In Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5, it says this, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And what, is that, what does that mean? Or, and we, this was the one from last week. We had a, a word for this or a phrase, but it's, it's to be Christ-like. To be like Christ. That's what this is when we walk in humility, when we walk in meekness. It's, it's really the way what we saw Jesus doing when he walked the earth. He was, he was walking in a way that was meek. He was, and that's our example, to be like Christ. And so we see these three now build up to this point. And so what it's been doing is there's this emptying happening. We're creating space for what? For righteousness to come in. And so we've built this appetite. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You know, you think of Thanksgiving dinner. And, you know, you eat all that food and you're stuffed. And then dessert comes, Right? And I don't know about you, a lot of people maybe wait a little while before they serve dessert, but, you know, a lot of times, though, you're still full. It's not like you're hungry, <laughs> but that dessert looks good, and so you just kind of, like, take it in, and so you're just feeding yourself, but there's not, like, this hunger and thirst. It's just more this, you know, really good whatever it is, pumpkin pie, whatever it is, pear and cheddar pie, whatever, whatever it is, whatever you're fancy. And... Again, it's, it's, but we're talking here about this, this deep hunger and thirst. And again, the focus here, this focused hunger for what are we hungering and thirsting is for what? It's for righteousness. It's for the rock shrimp, right? That will take you past every other place because you want to get to that, that thing, that point. So what is righteousness? If we're supposed to hunger and thirst, thirst for it. You know, the kind of the, the definition, if you will, is it's an attribute of God's being, God's right and just character, his actions and judgments. Again, God is, is righteous. He's carrying out these things. He can judge people. Why? Because he's, he's perfect, he's holy, he's good, and he sees, he's, he sees all. And so he can judge, and he can do so righteously. It's, it's by extension, it, righteousness denotes the type of life that ought to characterize Jesus' disciples. Ooh, that's kind of scary, isn't it? 
So you're supposed to look at my life and you should see righteousness if I, if I profess to be a disciple of Jesus. We should hunger and thirst or long to live a life that reflects God's character. So what does it look like to long for righteousness? To long to have this life that reflects God? Well, this language, I think, I think we can go back to, to the Old Testament, to Psalms, and I think about King David. Right? King David was called a man after God's own heart, right? That's a huge, I mean, imagine that title being put on you. You're a man or you're a woman that's after God's own heart. <laughs> and we know David made a lot of mistakes, right? But at the end of it all, he, he was, he was, it was a, his heart was after God. So listen, he, you know, he pursued God and knew God was his ultimate source of everything. Listen to what he writes in Psalm 63. And can we do some more participation, audience participation here? Is that okay? Uh, what I want to do is as we prepare to read this, as we go through this, every time we see the word you, I want you to say you. Okay, no Greek or Hebrew going out here. We're just going to say you, because I want you to see how many times and where his focus is, all right? So when, I, when we point, when we get there, you're going to say? You. All right, I was waiting for somebody to say Makarios or something. I was going to be like, no, you're not listening. Okay, so you, all right? So here we go, Psalm 63. Listen, look at how many times where his focus lies. Oh God, you. are my God, earnestly I seek, you. my soul thirsts for, you. my flesh faints for, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise, so I will bless as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise with joyful lips. When I remember upon my bed and meditate on in the watches of the night for have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to your right hand upholds me. Now again, I think when we read through that there is no question where David's focus is. David longed I mean, again, he, he writes, and this is what we've, we're talking about today. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David longed for what, or should I say who? He longed for God, right? We see where his heart was. Even though he made those mistakes, we see where his longing was. Let's, let's talk about eternity for a moment, if that's okay. When we think about eternity, let me ask you a question. What are you excited most about? And you don't have to answer that out loud. What are you excited most about? You know, for some people, I think, you know, maybe, maybe no pain, right? Some of us got up this morning, myself included, you know, and getting out of bed. It's just like, Lord, thank you for the promise of eternity where pain will be no more. Amen? Amen. There's a few people in here. Um, so, again, no pain. How about, you know, no traffic, right? Let's just be honest. That would be wonderful. Traffic's gone. We don't got to worry about that anymore. It's, it's done. It's, it's over. But I think, what about this one? Seeing loved ones, right? And that's good. And there's, there's hope there. There's, it's the hope of, of our, our eternity together, you know, that we're going to be reunited with those we love. And we can be excited about that. But let me ask you a question. And this question I want you to answer in your mind. I want you to, I want you to answer this honestly, you know, out loud, in your mind, what I'm about to ask. What if we arrived in heaven... 
And all we saw was Jesus. And there was nothing else. Would that be enough? And I know a lot of us are saying, yeah, yeah, that would. But I mean, just think about it for a minute. Would it be enough? And we all know the right answer is yes. But when we think about it, when we think through it, you know, do, do we really believe it? Do we live our life or do we really think like that all the time? Like, wow, you know, I pursued Jesus. I'm so, my, my heart is so after Jesus. So longs for Jesus. You know, again, I think about, and a lot of, I know a lot of people in here haven't maybe been separated that long. You know, I've been apart from my family up to nine months at a time being deployed in different things. And to say that my soul longs to be together again, I understand to an extent what that means. And so for you, you know, whatever that was for you, however long or whatever that is, maybe it's a child that's moved away growing up and, you know, when you long to be together again, do you feel that way about Jesus? To be in his presence, to be with him. And if we got to heaven and, and, and he was it, <laughs> would it be enough? Again, those other things will all be there. But our focus always has to be, our hunger, our thirst has to be on Jesus. I think of, you know, where David wrote as well, you know, he said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after thee. You know, it's hard to long after things when we're more full of other stuff. My kids give me living examples of this all the time. As we approach dinner and you would think that they got like special forces, you know, ninja training or something as they moved silently through the house into the kitchen and managed to find the Oreos or the ice cream. And, you know, they eat all that stuff if we're not, if we're not watching. And then they show up to dinner like, oh, I'm not, I'm not really hungry. Oh, really? What have they done? They filled up on something that maybe tasted good for that moment, but it's not really giving them the nourishment that they need. And so there's not this longing for the substance that would satisfy them ultimately. And for a lot of us here, you know, the things of this world are, and again, not even bad things, sometimes good things can occupy our lives so much that we no longer long for what we truly need. I want to look briefly here at, into the New Testament, into another person you probably recognize, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Philippians. Listen to what he writes. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 1, says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs. And again, that culture, dogs, is the worst. I know a lot of people here probably have dogs. Over in our culture, they're great. Over there, not great. And so he's really making a statement by calling these people dogs. And he says, for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. Let's make things a little awkward here and talk about circumcision for a moment. Circumcision is, is ultimately what? It's, it's, it's an, it, in this text, in this context, it's an outward sign of something that has happened here in the heart. It was an instruction given by God to his people as a symbol, and, and so people recognize these, are of, these people are of God. 
It's sort of like when we uh, baptize people, right? We get this big tank now and fill it with water, and there's nothing really significant in and of itself of that tank and that water. But what that does is it's, it's, it's symbolizing, it's showing an outward expression of, of us dying to our sin by going into the grave, following Jesus to the grave and being raised to life again. There's nothing magical about the water or the tank or the words that are said. It, it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's an example of, of what's happened in our heart, what we've done that can't be seen in our, in, you know, to the naked eye. And so, again, that's, that's what this, this whole thought of, and that's why, why Paul is coming down on these, these people that have, you know, they, they focus more on this outward thing. It's almost like those, those people that can come to church, and they know the Christianese, as we say, you know. Oh, Lord bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. Oh, you look good today. Oh, how are you doing? Oh, the Lord is good. I'm too blessed to be stressed. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Right? And then you go, and you see them during the week, and you wouldn't, you know, you're like, what? Where are you? Who are you? You know, because you know it's it's they've not had this inward experience with with the Lord with Jesus. They've learned the the outward expressions to make it look that way, but they're missing the heart issue, right? And so that's what Paul's really getting at. And so notice as we pick back up in verse three, what he says. He says we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. Nothing else. There's no outward thing that we can do. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And then Paul goes on to write his resume, if you will, why he's, he's checked all the boxes. He was like a pinnacle of religious leaders. And then, and then let's jump back into verse 7. After he presents all that, he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value, listen, the infinite value of what? Is it up there? Of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. When was the last time you put that phrase on your relationship with God, with Jesus? An infinite value. For his sake, I have discarded everything else counting it all as garbage. So what? So that I could gain Christ. This, I don't know about you, but this is so sobering for me, right? And we, we keep coming back to this, what is our hunger focused on? What is the focus of our thirst? And here we see again Paul writing and, and, and expressing that it's all about knowing Jesus. And notice this too, and I want to say this to you today and all those watching online as well. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and there's a, between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. There are people in this world that can quote the Bible from cover to cover who have never experienced Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, who do not have relationship with Jesus. And this is the invitation that Jesus has extended to us. Just like he, we saw him walk with his disciples, he wants a relationship with you and with me. He desires that. He's made a way for that. But if we're not careful, we'll, we'll, we'll sell ourselves short with just religion instead of relationship. You cannot do what Jesus did. You cannot lay yourself barren on a cross without having relationship, without a desire for relationship with somebody. You understand? 
Jesus did not die so that we can have church buildings and this structure and this, this look and appearance of godliness. He died so that we can walk with him and become his disciples and have relationship with him so we can walk on the mountaintop and through the valley together. He loves us. He loves you. He loves me. So that I can gain Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the what? The righteousness of God. That's what we're looking for today. That's what we're talking about today, is, is that we would, again, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's begin to wrap things up here today as we, we, we finish out looking at, at verse 6 once again in conclusion. The reality is, is that we cannot fill ourselves with righteousness. This is what Paul was getting at when he was writing. He's, he's like, I did everything. If anybody could have been righteous, it was me. But he could not obtain it. We can't fill ourselves, but instead we are filled with righteousness as a gift from God. When we pursue God, when we pursue Christ, as a result, we receive righteousness and so now let's read this again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And here comes the best part ever. For they shall be satisfied. Have you thought for a minute, like, you go around the world and, and, and think about people in your life. And, and even when you go out this week and you're doing stuff, think, you know, you, you, you interact with people. Ask yourself this question. Is that person satisfied? I think we're laughing because we know the answer for 99% of those people, right? Maybe even for ourselves at times. Why? Because if we're not careful, we're, we're going we're gonna, to... Let me back up just a touch. I think for myself, for me, I tend to pursue things and, you know, I can pursue whether if it's, if it's you know whether money or, or our status or, you know, if I can just do this or just do that or accomplish this, then, then I'll be in my life, throughout my life, you know, then I thought if I could get that, that would be it. Like, I don't need anything else, right? We work hard and we get to this point, whatever it is, whatever that looks like for you. And you know what? Every single time I got to that place, do you know how I felt? <laughs> I felt satisfied for about a millisecond. And then it's like, well, what if I just went a little further? What if I just got just a little more, right? And doesn't that really describe, probably in a nutshell, what we see in the world today? They're seeking to be able to say, I'm satisfied in my soul. Well, let's look at some of the biggest places are the, the most successful, if you will. Let's look at Hollywood. How about that, right? They got money. They got fame. They have friends, right? Are they satisfied? <laughs> That's painfully obvious, right? Maybe the music industry. Maybe even the business world, you know? The reality is this. Again, we... To pursue certain things, to be successful at something, there's, there's not in and of itself something wrong. The problem is, is when we take that and we substitute it and think that's going to bring the satisfaction in our soul for something that only Jesus can bring. Relationship with Jesus. 
Now, I'm assuming probably most of us in here have experienced that. If, if you've said yes to Christ and you are walking in relationship with him, then the reality is, and the beautiful part of it all, is no matter what happens outside here, there's peace in my, our hearts, isn't there? What's another way to say that? That's that we're satisfied. When I look at my wife, when I look at my kids, and you know, we're sitting there together, and whether we're in a good time or a bad time, I, I, there's peace in my heart. Why? Because I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied in Jesus. And so because of that, I don't, I don't need to find my satisfaction in other things. All my Rolling Stone fans are, there's a song rolling around right now. I can't get no. Yeah. They figured it out. We should have listened a long time ago, right? You can't get no satisfaction. Not in this world, not in this life, not here, not without Jesus. The only way we find satisfaction, yeah, we can have it in this, this side of eternity, but it's only with Jesus, with Christ. Amen? We'll be satisfied. Here's the secret as we wrap up. If we seek after God with all our hearts, righteousness follows. And when righteousness arrives in our lives, we experience a true satisfaction that the world cannot give. That's it. Hope you wrote that down. I know you are gonna go back and watch it this week, but that's where our satisfaction is. That's where, again, what you're looking for, <laughs> it's right there. That's what righteousness is. That's, that's what it is, again, to hunger and thirst. If you wanna be blessed, we hunger and thirst not just for stuff, not just for anything, not just for good things. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it's then in that moment and at that point that we will achieve a satisfaction that only God can give. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this, this moment right now. Lord, for every person, Lord, in this, in this place, every person online within the sound of my voice, Lord God, I thank you that you have spoken to us today by your word. God, I thank you that there is a satisfaction. There is a place that we can come where there's peace in our hearts. There's a contentment, Lord, that only comes about by you. And God, while we cannot achieve this, this righteousness that we, we've talked about today, Lord God, we know that as we pursue you, Lord, it comes as a gift. God, I pray for, for us as we inventory our lives. God, that there would be room for you. God, help us to empty ourselves. Help us to, to, to cast off those things, Lord God, that just occupy space that, that would be so much better, Lord, if we made room for you to come in and dwell. Let us not be overtaken or overwhelmed by the things of this world, Lord. But God, let us have a hunger and thirst where we are willing to pass by every other thing to get to you to get to that relationship with you, Lord. God, I thank you. And if you're here in this place today or you're watching online and you don't know what I'm talking about, you have not experienced relationship with Jesus, I would invite you in this moment, right where you are, as we talked about already, this emptying of ourselves to recognize uh, this sin that we have. We're all sinners. We all need a savior. And you confess that right now, that, that you are a sinner. 
We're all sinners. But the good news is there's a savior that wants to come in. And again, you are dead in your sin. You cannot save yourself, but Jesus wants to come and save you and bring you out of that sin into life with him. And if you repent of that sin, you acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, the one who went to the cross and died and rose again on the third day. He will come in and he will meet you in your heart, in your life, and begin relationship with you. Wouldn't it be great to walk out of this place or to end this, this live stream being satisfied in your soul finally, once and for all? And you can have that today. And I pray that you pray that prayer and acknowledge him. And if you do, I hope you'll reach out to, to one of us here, to myself or somebody online that's in the chat. And tell somebody, tell somebody. God, I thank you for each person, Lord, that, that prayed that prayer today, that, that gave their life to you. I pray, Lord, that, that you would truly meet them in their place where they are. God, just like you've met me and, and many in this room. God, we thank you that you are the one that satisfies. You, you are the one that, that gives life and that, God, no matter what happens in our life here on earth or, or, or what's to come or what we see happening around us, Lord God, we can have peace in our hearts knowing that you are with us, that you are working all things out, Lord, for our good. And God, we look to a future and eternity with you. We thank you for this time, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.